Welcome to Space Nerds, your source for intergalactic science fiction and science fact. Engines primed, engage! Hey, hey, this is Alexandria. I'm Jane Smith. And I'm Douglas Gale. And I will be bringing you Space News, Star Trek, Duck Space Nine, Firefly, Black Mirror, and probably superhero stuff. Dystopian fiction! Who's excited? I'm Jesse Mercury, and I'll be your constant cosmic companion, bringing you the weekly space news and sitting down with these amazing friends to talk about science fiction. We are Space Nerds! What's up, Space Nerds? Welcome to the show. I'm here with our Firefly nerd, the lovely Miss Jane Smith. How are you, Jane? I'm good, Jesse. How are you doing today? I'm good. I feel, I feel weirdly confused today. Like not about anything in particular. I just like I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling the the malaise of lockdown hardcore right yep. now. How about you? Yeah, it's one. Yeah, it's one of those days. I think yesterday was easier because there was like the sunshine. We yeah. were getting the vitamin D boost, and today <laughs> we got it's like overcast, but it's kind of hot, and it's just like you feel a little. Uh, like kind of gross like existentially and you're not sure if it's just the humidity or you know the world on fire (laughs) yeah totally yeah i mean yesterday in seattle was like gloriously sunny it was so nice and today is very gray and it it you know the combination of being on lockdown for months and then a gray day is just everything's weird today yeah things just you can feel it in the air it's just not helping at all totally well, and we also, we watched the, the Message, which is a little bit of a downer of an episode of Firefly. It is a, one of the more uh, less upbeat. Yeah. <laughs> more or less upbeat <laughs> of the episodes. You know, kind of like, uh, you got to do what you got to do to survive. And sometimes that means killing your friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. rough. It's a little rough, but I got to say, I mean, we're going to get into the episode later. We got our space news to talk about before then. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the message much more than I remembered enjoying it. Like I back mm-hmm. in back in the day when I first got into Firefly, it was my, by far my least favorite episode. And rewatching it mm-hmm. now, like I'm like, man, this episode is actually really good. I mean, it's got like one big issue that drives me crazy that we'll get into. Um, yeah. But overall, it's still like super well made. I still adore Firefly. And just love mm-hmm. spending any time in that universe. And the first half of the episode is amazing. I love it. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about this episode. Um, it's got some really good high points, but then it's also got a lot of, like, not its best work. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're in the same episode. Yeah. And it's, and it's weird because, like, this is the last one that they filmed. Right. So you can tell that the actors were a little bit... Um, all over the place (laughs) emotionally you could could see their sadness for sure yeah yeah so like sometimes they were really giving it like 110 percent of all their acting skills and sometimes they were phoning it in oh you think so oh interesting well we got a lot to talk about with the message and we're gonna get to it soon um but before we do we got to start with our space news i actually found two stories that are related that i'd kind of like to talk about both if you don't mind doing a double on the space news today Awesome. We're going to talk about the double search for feature. double space feature, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, because there's been some Ooh, yeah. interesting news about that recently in the ways that people are searching for aliens. 
I haven't seen any of this. That's awesome. Oh, good. Well, we're going to talk about it. Uh, and just a quick announcement before we jump into it. So last week, I announced that we were going to start doing Doug Space Nine once a week in lieu of Star Trek Club while Star Trek Club is on break. And after putting out the first uh, episode of Doug Space Nine, doing a double feature last week, I've decided, you know what? We don't need to do that. We don't need to have two episodes a week. Um, One was enough. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that we started doing two because Picard started airing and Star Mm -hmm. Trek Club accidentally happened. And we had so much fun. We're like, let's keep going. But you know what? If Star Trek Club is not happening right now, um, then let's just go back to one episode a week. I don't know why I'm putting out this much content. It's like, it's an overwhelming amount for people to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's too much. You gotta, you gotta take it uh, more organically. Like just cause there were a couple of things going on concurrently that you could do two shows in one week. Doesn't mean that you have to keep up that pace. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's the revelation yeah. I came to this week. So yeah. Um, yeah so Doug space nine will still be happening. It's just, I, I'm not going to do it once a week. I've realized that that's crazy because they're long yeah, too. Yeah, you guys talk for uh, like you get into all the details, so maybe pace it, pace it better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, like Star Trek Club was like a tight fifty minutes to an hour. Um, I have extra content a week. Doug, the Doug Space Nine this week was three and a half hours, and I was like, well, that was that's the wrong way. I can't be putting out like five hours worth of content every week on this feed that doesn't make sense so yes so we're gonna go back to just doing one episode a week rotating through black mirror firefly and deep space nine and i've got something real excited planned i don't want to announce it because whenever i do i curse myself and then it doesn't happen oh that reminds me my other announcement is that i announced that it was gonna be black mirror this week and i was wrong it's gonna be firefly this week (laughs) i can't announce it whenever i announce it it goes wrong like I announced yeah. that without checking with Alexandria and she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm like going on a trip this week. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well let's do firefly. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not. Then. <laughs> yes, totally. But uh, anyway, those are the announcements. Jane, are you ready for the space news? Give me the space news, please. <laughs> let's do it. Space news. All right, Jane, let's get into the space news. We've got two stories this week that are Ooh, nice little dance. I wish the listeners could have seen that. <laughs> Um, we got two related stories this week. So here's the first one. This is from The Guardian. Scientists say most likely number of contactable alien civilizations is 36. Oh. Okay, I did see this. All right, I'm all like, I didn't get any space news. Yeah, I did read. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to let you read the article, but I thought it was really interesting that they took a whole bunch of math that had to be like, general figures before and they're like no no we can like condense it down to to actual estimates yeah i think this is so interesting i feel like the math that's being done is fascinating but it's also like highly theoretical like highly theoretical like yeah yeah, like there's no way they could prove it with the data that we have right now or the technology that we're using right now so it's like it's still super estimated but yeah. it's nice that they came up with an actual number you know, yeah this is to, like the answer to life know. the universe and everything is 42 you know <laughs> but it's but it's slightly off yeah like, like we, plug- <laughs> we, we plugged in some information a deep thought and the number of alien yeah. civilizations is 36 
Yeah, um, so close. Yeah, so let's get into this. There may not be little green men. They may not arrive in a vast spaceship. But according to new calculations, there could be more than 30 intelligent civilizations in our galaxy today capable of communicating with others. So that's in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. Experts say the work not only offers insight into the chances of life beyond Earth, but could shed light on our own future and place in the cosmos. I think it is extremely important and exciting because for the first time, we really have an estimate for the number of active, intelligent, communicating civilizations that we potentially could contact and find out there is other life in the universe. Something that has been a question for thousands of years and is still not answered, says Christopher Consolis, a professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham and co-author of this research. In 1961, the astronomer Frank Drake proposed what became known as the Drake Equation, setting out seven factors that would need to be known to come up with an estimate for the number of intelligent civilizations out there. These factors ranged from the average number of stars that form each year in the galaxy through to the time span over which a civilization would be expected to be sending out detectable signals. Have you heard of this Drake Equation, Jane? Yes. Really? But I'm just thinking right now like i don't know what all seven factors are so i'm gonna look i'm gonna yeah. see if i can find all the factors yeah please do let's let's find the factors because now that's like what i want to know when i'm reading this um and while you're looking i'm gonna read this next paragraph but few of the okay. factors are measurable drake equation estimates have ranged from zero to a few billion civilizations it is more like a tool for thinking about questions rather than something that has actually been solved says consolis do you find it I did, yeah. Okay, it. so the seven seven factors. Um, I'm just gonna say the uh, like the one word boiled down to one thing. So yeah, we've got number, rate, planets, ecosystem, life, intelligent life, communication, and length. And so to uh, go a little deeper into that, um, it's the number of civilizations in our galaxy with which communication is possible. That's number. Okay. 36. Rate is, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, you're jumping ahead. Spoiler alert. Sorry, alerts. sorry. Okay, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, rate is the average rate of star formation per year in our galaxy. 12. I don't know that one. I was <laughs> guessing. Uh, the planets is the fraction of those stars with planets. Mm. Ecosystem is the average number of those planets that may develop an ecosystem. Okay. Life is the fraction of those planets that succeed in developing life. Intelligent life is the fraction of those planets with life that develop. So, like, it's getting smaller and it's, like, narrowing it down with each successive thing. Um, Communication is the fraction of those planets with intelligent life that develop interstellar communication. Hmm. And then length is the average length of time such civilizations survive and continue to send communications. Yeah, and the reason this is all theoretical is because we don't know of any. Like, we have zero data to put into this equation. We don't have... There's no concrete number for any of these seven factors. It's even arguable whether or not intelligent life exists on this planet, let alone any other planet. Oh, yeah. It's not a good year for judging whether we're intelligent (laughs) life or not. I hope the aliens aren't judging us based on 2020. Yeah. I mean, if we make it through 2020 as a civilization, I'll be surprised. And a little impressed. It's kind of like when Baxter ate that wheel of cheese. I won't be mad. Yeah. I feel like this year is like the great filter that we talked about briefly with like Fermi's paradox, which is like whether a civilization is going to make it or not as an interstellar species. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the thing that's going to make or break humanity 
Yeah. Um, At least the one that we're living through, you know, I mean, like you think about, you know, living through World War II, which neither of us were around Mm -hmm. for, and there's still people alive who are around for that. That shit Mm must have sucked, you know, (laughs) like, like we, we at least have not of like devolved into a full blown world war. Although, you know, never say never, but (laughs) things are heading in a bad direction all around the world right now. But I mean, yeah, I mean, things could things could be worse. I don't know why I'm saying that. I feel like now I'm cursing us. I, I Yeah, you just said earlier that anytime you announce a thing, it, it gets cursed, so stop. Okay, well, here we go. Next week, World War Three starts. Now it won't happen because I announced it on the podcast. There we go. We fixed it. You, you, you saved humanity. I Thanks. did! Finally! I've done something good! I've used this platform for change! Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so I was trying to look up, um, so the U.S. coronavirus deaths have already surpassed fatalities from the Vietnam War. Wow. I was, try- I was trying to look up what the, because there's like graphics all over the place. World War II, according to this graphic, which is uh, nationalgeographic.com, so they probably have pretty good data. Uh, their source is the Department of uh, Veteran Affairs, so they know what they're talking about. Uh, wait, no. I got to pop up. I can't. <laughs> cool. <wait. laughs> um, so it says, all right, so World War II deaths um, were 291,557. Wow. And we're, and we're up to like 120,000 now with COVID. In the so U.S. alone. Little, in the U.S. alone. So that's a little less than half from World War II. Wow. So that is sobering. no joke. Yeah. It's, that's terrifying. It's really no Man, this everything sucks right now. Like the world sucks right now. And as a eternal optimist and person who's always like looking to this positive future, I'm like, damn, we really dropped the ball as a civilization. But we're trying to pick it back up. And that's my optimist side. Is like, I mean, all of these protests that are still happening, and like people Mm -hmm. are really, really trying to get us back on track. And I really appreciate their efforts. Yeah, I I do appreciate that so many people are realizing the monumental effort that needs to be done and like we can't just wait for you know one famous person to come around and and change it it's it's gonna take all of us to do this it's we all need to wear our masks yes and we all need to you know call senators and representatives and you know your local government we all need to march we all need to you know do our part you can't just sit back and and let it happen 2020 is not gonna let that happen Right, right. Like this is an ongoing battle that has to be fought because yeah. by everybody. Things are bad, you know. We got to we got to stand up. And yeah. let's learn more about alien civilizations, shall we? <laughs> yes, yes. All right. Sorry. We got distracted with numbers. Okay. So uh, so we talked about the uh um the Drake equation and how we have no information to plug into it. So these scientists yeah. are trying to kind of assume information in the drake equation to come up with a number spoiler it's 36 basically we made the assumption that intelligent life would form on other earth-like planets like it has on earth so within a few billion years life would automatically form as a natural part of evolution says consolese what do you think about that this idea that earth-like planets probably at some point in their lifespan will have some sort of life form on it i think that i mean Mm -hmm. yeah like yeah, we, we even look I, at like Mars, like maybe Mars had life at one point. 
Yeah. I, I've read an article and man, I wish I had saved it. Or maybe I can find it for a future space news, but um, it's basically that life will always happen. I mean, like, you life, know, Jeff Goldblum, uh, life finds, will, a uh, finds a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so because of how um, chemistry works and, and, uh, like chemicals like the building blocks of life and uh the it's the the proteins the it starts with an a that like are the things that end up leading to dna that end up leading to to life um it's the most efficient way for the universe to like uh not collate but like Words are hard today. I'm not doing good at podcasts so far. <laughs> but it's, it's like ke- chemistry will always make it so that uh, chemicals will like form together and and you'll always get proteins eventually that lead to like uh, single cell things and viruses. And then they end up building more and more and more because it's the most it's the way that in the physics of our universe, atoms want to clump. OK, so they're always. They're always going to do that. And that is always eventually going to lead to life. Interesting. Yeah. It's like the inertia, the inevitability. Yeah. yeah, Like like, life is inevitable because atoms. Yeah. (laughs) I said that really poorly. I'll see if I can find the article because it was really interesting. But yeah, um, I I think that these scientists are going with a good assumption on that first count. Yeah. So that assumption that life will form actually has a name. as this article continues, the assumption known as the astrobiological Copernican principle is fair as everything from chemical reactions to star formation is known to occur. If the conditions are right, he said, if intelligent life forms in a scientific way, not just a random way or just a very unique way, then you would expect at least this many civilizations within our galaxy. He said, yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking about. This, this assumption. So if the conditions are right, it makes sense that life will eventually form. And like who like the timeline you know we don't necessarily know all of that information because we don't have enough information because we only know of one life in our galaxy which is our planet but yeah but it does make sense he added that while it is a speculative theory he believes alien life would have similarities in appearance to life on earth we wouldn't be super shocked by seeing them he said and this is where i'm like what where is this assumption coming from is it because you've watched a lot of star trek and you watched that episode the chase (laughs) about panspermia um, what yeah. do you think, Jane? Do you think, I mean, I feel like any assumptions about what life on another planet could look like are premature. I feel like, mm-hmm. like assuming that it would look like us, like we just don't know. We do, There's so many yeah. factors that we can't account for, oh, but, yeah. but maybe I, I it would be totally kind of cool agree. if it did, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think it's, you know, convenient for Hollywood purposes, but I definitely agree that uh, life could look like anything. It just depends on the environment in which the primordial soup happens to be. Um, did you ever read the the Rama series by Arthur C. Clarke? No. Okay, that's one of my favorite uh, sci-fi uh, book series. And in it, there are all kinds of different um, species. We're only exposed to a few, but they're all wildly different. And one of my favorite ones, um, they're like, they kind of look like octopuses for for lack of a a better term like they've got all these appendages and like a big squishy head in the middle um but they communicate through light cool and like and like color flashes 
And so um, you just like, you can't assume that everyone's going to be bipedal and use, you know, audio communications. Um, Sometimes the situation could like, we we have no idea. There's all kinds of weird uh, planets out there in our galaxy alone. And and we don't know exactly what to expect. We're just. Yeah. And just because atoms are clumping doesn't mean they're going to form a recognizable shape. Yeah, and like, and we're we're making assumptions that things are going to be carbon-based life forms. Sure. There could be all other things out there. It's just carbon happens to be the most prevalent one on Earth. Yeah. So. Yeah, but but it is a cool idea to think about. Like, what if we found an alien species and it was actually like Star Trek, where they look pretty similar, and maybe mm-hmm. we're genetically compatible. You know, not not yeah. not to say why, but you know. Right. Maybe people it's just... have, people have fantasies. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not saying maybe no. it's just one of the most efficient, you know, silhouettes for mm. for nature. You know, yeah. like to the minimum amount of legs to be able to move around efficiently. Too, you yeah. Know? Maybe maybe it's just a common shape. I don't know. We don't know, but it's it's yeah. really interesting to think about. You know, what would be fascinating is if we discovered alien life and it looked like like a badger or something like the, or like a dolphin, you know, like something that looked more similar to another species on our planet where we we're all high and mighty about, you know, earth, like humans are the dominant species, but maybe we find the planet of the owls, you know, and they're like, Oh, humans. Oh, those are like our pets. Right. That'd be awesome. But I feel like that would, (laughs) like that right there is, is the recipe for uh, worldwide riots. (laughs) Because, <laughs> um, like, you know, people have been very, uh, not just ethnocentric, but, like, geocentric, yeah. thinking that the world is the center of the universe for so long. And yeah. then it was like, well, we're whatever religion's, uh, you know, origin story. We are the chosen people of of X, Y, and Z. We are the special ones because, you know, we took over this planet. Um I think that would be devastating to society as we know it. And we'd have to start from scratch. <laughs> well, good. Cause that's what we need. <laughs> I know. We need a clean slate. Honestly, yeah. at this point, we need to, we need to shuckle out of the baggage. And all we have to do is discover a planet of owls and we've got it. I know. Come on. Owl people. Yeah. <laughs> like bird person. And, and, uh, bird pers- yeah. Rick and have Morty. you seen any of the, have you seen any of the recent episodes? No, I'm. I actually, I love the first two seasons so much that I haven't mm-hmm. watched season three yet because, like, I kind of wanted to rewatch one and two first and just haven't gotten mm-hmm. there yet. But then Justin Roiland, who made Rick and Morty, made a new show, so I got a lot of catching up to do. I got to get caught up on the CW Arrowverse so I can go back to watching other things because it's an all-encompassing TV project. You got yeah, you got a lot of content. So yeah, <laughs> there's so much to watch. <laughs> anyway, okay. Here we go. Um, So, under the strictest set of assumptions where, as on Earth, life forms between 4.5 billion and 5.5 billion years after star formation, there are likely between 4 and 211 civilizations in the Milky Way today capable of communicating with others, with 36 the most likely figure. But Consolis noted that this figure is conservative, not least as it is based on how long our own civilization has been sending out signals into space, a period of just 100 years so far. So if you look at, like, 
A civilization forms between 4.4 and 5.4 billion years after a star is formed, and our civilization has only been sending signals in the cosmos for 100 years, it starts to make a mm -hmm. lot more sense why we haven't found anyone else. Because, like, the distance is vast, yeah. and the time is vast, and mm -hmm. for this to line up gets a lot trickier, and maybe there's only four, maybe we're one of four civilizations in the, in the whole galaxy. Uh, yeah, uh, as Carl Sagan put it so well, uh, space is a big place. Yeah. And <laughs> if we're trying to find other civilizations and we've only been at it for about 100 years, roughly, uh, and light only goes, you know, at a certain speed, sure. that puts a hard cap on how far our message could have gotten exactly. in that time. Yeah, totally. So it's, yeah. it's just better there. So I'm looking, I'm Googling, always Googling. Um, <laughs> you're turning into Alexandria. It, <laughs> you're, you're the, I'm, I'm learning. You're the ABG now. Always be Googling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it looks like there are roughly 512 uh, stars of spectral type G, which I got to get back into that because I don't remember what that is. Mm. Um that are believed to be within a hundred light years or so of, uh, of our star system. So that's only about 500 stars that the message could have possibly reached wow. out of like a hundred billion yeah. uh, in the galaxy alone. So it's not that many. Yeah. And even if there is like upwards of 36 and even if 36 is a conservative number, there's mm -hmm. no, there's no reason to think that they'd be within that distance. So close. Yeah. Cause yeah. like it, we may have come across something from them uh, if they were that close by now, you know, yeah, for all the time totally. looking. Yeah. And, you know, we've like detected some repeating radio bursts in the galaxy that we haven't been able to explain. Maybe we have picked mm -hmm. something up that we just don't yeah. know how to decipher yet. Maybe we, we have received instructions on how to build a device to visit them and we just <laughs> haven't done it yet. I know. I love contact i oh my god so good movie, one of my favorite movies that of should all be, time. that should be one of the movies that yes we do absolutely yeah years ago it. we like my friend uh sarah lehman and i did an episode on contact on this podcast feed but let's do it again with yeah. the space nerds because yeah. i let's want do to. a group yeah yeah awesome. be great okay so this is super interesting the team add that our civilization would need to survive at least another 6120 years for two-way communication so we've been sending out information for about 100 years and in order for it to be you know a mathematical probability that we would hear something back we'd need to be doing this for another 6000 years space is massive I know. We'll see. Uh, this We'll see. We'll see, humans. This would be quite far away. 17,000 light years is our calculation for the closest one. 17,000 light years could be the closest civilization, which means that traveling at the speed of light, which we don't really even have the capability of doing, that's just the theoretical fastest speed that we know of, it would take 17,000 years to send a message one way. And the, mm -hmm. idea that we, the idea that we're alone in the universe, I think, f seems more and more short-sighted when you start looking at these numbers. Right. I, th just because we're not hearing from people doesn't mean they're not out there. It just means it's really hard to have that sort of communication or to even right. come across uh, right. the message in the first place. The message. Firefly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to tie it in. <laughs> Um, okay, well, there's a lot more to this article, and I, I'm going to put a link in the description. I recommend people check it out. It's very interesting. Um, but then I actually found 
an article a few days later that was kind of a rebuttal to this study. Because, you know, science is an ongoing process. This is, mm-hmm. you know, one study published by these authors, and other scientists yeah. might disagree. So, this is from Forbes.com, and I will put this link in the description also. Scientists move to find alien civilizations using techno-signatures. Have you heard of techno-signatures before? I have not. This is totally new. Yeah, this is cool. Well, to me. New to me. (laughs) Yeah. Are we alone in the universe? Are there other technological civilizations out there? Many astronomers are looking for biosignatures, or certain observational signs that life may exist on a planet. Others try to compute how many intelligent civilizations are out there using assumptions about what we know about Earth-like planets and life itself. A new grant, however, aims to answer this question directly, to actually look for signs of a technologically advanced society through techno-signatures. How many intelligent civilizations are out there? Earlier this week, another team of scientists announced that they had calculated how many intelligent civilizations may exist in our galaxy. They came up with a rather exact number, around 36 other technological civilizations out there in the Milky Way. This may initially seem like a lot, but it leads to the rather depressing realization we are on average 17,000 light years away from the nearest one. However, how can we trust, or however, can we trust these numbers? Probably not. Given the fact that the study makes some rather large assumptions, many of which may not be valid at all. I love this, by the way. I love that I was able to find like these two articles that like one's like, I don't think so. (laughs) But that's like the beauty of science. Like actual science is like peer reviewed and like, is it duplicatable? And like, let's see your work so that we can try to replicate it. And it's like, that's. That's real science right there. Yeah. And there's no need to take sides here. You know, these are just different ideas being thrown around. And I just love it. Trying to do this calculation is an important exercise, but it's a difficult one. At its heart lies the Drake equation. The Drake equation is a way to calculate how many civilizations there are in the galaxy, which we may be able to communicate with. It depends on the rate of star formation, the fraction of those stars with planets, the number of those that can develop an ecosystem, the fraction of those where life actually appears, the fraction that develops intelligent life, and the fraction of those that develop the ability to communicate into space. All of this is multiplied by the lifetime of the civilization itself. So we're really learning about the Drake equation today. Uh, And then there's a beautiful picture on this article of what an alien planet might look like. And I love it. I don't know if you can see this, Jane. Oh, nice. I know our listeners can't see it, but... That's like a beautiful, like, sunset kind of over a lake or something. Yeah, with all these crazy stock pod plants. It's beautiful. I love it. I I really want to go to another planet for so many reasons. Um, We have a pretty good idea about the first few terms of the Drake equation. We know the star formation rate, and we're even beginning to understand how many planets there are that have liquid water on them and are potentially habitable. But we still have no idea how often life arises, how often it evolves into intelligent life, or even how long the civilization lasts before blowing itself to smithereens or killing itself off due to climate change. The Drake equation is useful to understand what conditions are needed for an intelligent civilization, but it may be premature to use it to get anything more concrete. Okay, finding civilizations directly. So they're basically saying, yeah, "Yeah, that other study, nah, I don't think so. The other way to figure out... (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. It's like a... It's a thought experiment, and it's like, yeah, they they made some assumptions to plug in some numbers to get a, a concrete result, and it's one out of you know however many possible permutations that they could have done with that equation, sure. which is it's interesting. Yeah, and they left a lot of room for uh, for variance, like between yeah. four and one hundred and twelve or whatever it was civilizations, with the likeliest number being mm-hmm. thirty six, based off of their math, based off of some mm-hmm. big assumptions. But like, Huge why not? Assumptions. 
And those assumptions yeah. were very big, obviously, but also not unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. The other way to figure out if there are civilizations out there is to look for them directly. Most times when astronomers are looking for life among the stars, they are looking for biosignatures. These are signs that a planet hosts life, microbial to intelligent. The concept is that the presence of life changes a planet. And these changes may be observable to our telescopes. This could be a mixture of gases within the atmosphere that is out of equilibrium due to metabolism of life. It could also be the way light, light reflects off the planet, indicating the presence of vegetation or something like microbial mats. I don't even know what that is. It could also be time-dependent changes to like, the planet. Like algae. Okay, yeah. I'll, there you go. Microbial mat. Yeah. And that's fascinating yeah. in and of itself is that just by looking at a planet and studying the way light bounces off of it, we might be able to determine if life is there by looking for biosignatures. Mm -hmm. Finding life, yeah. any type of life. Oh, sorry. You got something to say? Go for it. No, I was just trying to remember what it's called. It's like spectral astronomy, spectral Ooh. radiography or something. Spectral... God, I love this stuff so much. I yeah. love it. It's so cool. I should have been an astrophysicist. Spectra astronomical spectroscopy wow oh fascinating yeah. finding life any type of life would be game changing philosophically it would indicate to us that we are indeed not alone in the universe and specifically it would narrow down one of those numbers in the drake equation the number of planets that actually form life but techno signatures are different techno -sig signatures aren't just signs of life they are signs of intelligent life this is where things get really mm. interesting oh. yeah. <laughs> What kind of technosignatures would we see? A new grant recently funded by NASA attempts to answer that question. What would a technological civilization look like to us across the galaxy? The grant was awarded to primary investigator Adam Frank of the University of Rochester, along with Jacob Hawk, Jacob Hawk Misra of the Blue Marble Space, Magnusavi Lingam from the Florida Institute of Technology, Avi Loeb of Harvard, and Jason Eret from Pennsylvania State University. I apologize for all of the name butchering that just took place. This grant that stands out. <laughs> it was not your fault. It was all my fault. Uh, <laughs> this grant stands out because it is the first time NASA funded a SETI only project in three decades. It is also wow. the first NASA non-radio techno signature awarded, which means that the scientists are not just looking at the radio band as many SETI searches so far. This is something that I personally... Yeah, I am always like, let's put more money into SETI. And I know like there's a lot of yeah. things to put money into, but um, I mm. love that this grant has been awarded for the first time in 30 years. We're like putting more money into a SETI only project. That's, That's awesome. I didn't know that they had only been funding radio um, research before. I thought they had put some more money into the other wavelengths of yeah. the electromagnetic spectrum and that's interesting that it's been 30 years yeah it's like we're i mean finding intelligent life by using radio signatures could take centuries so it could yeah it's one small fraction of all the options of ways to communicate right with an interstellar species like it's there there's so many other options it's weird that they would just focus on that one i guess yeah. well, it's maybe a, a great it, option <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and maybe it's the most uh, economical one. So, like, maybe. with the limited funds that they had, maybe that's what they decided to go with. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I, I love the idea that we're branching out. 
Okay, so what would a technosignature look like? To find this out, we must make an important realization. Alien life will use the same types of energy we use. And I'd like to say that's not a realization. That is an assumption. <laughs> that is an assumption. We're going off of what we know so far, because obviously we don't know what we don't know. Right. But um, yeah. maybe there's something out there right now that we're missing, like pulsing through the planet right now on like neutrinos or something. And it's not interacting with the rest of the particles that we deal with on sure. a daily basis. Like, yeah, we, we don't know. Yeah, maybe this maybe this civilization has discovered dark matter and dark energy, and they're using it to power their yeah. their you know dildos. I don't know why I said that, but um, space dildos, renewable dark matter dildo energy. That's the name of my new band. Um, nice. <laughs> okay, so that assumption is saying basically they are confined to the same laws of chemistry and physics we are. And yeah, we, we maybe the whole universe is bound by the same laws of physics and chemistry, but to assume that we know them all is insane. We definitely don't know them all. Yeah, we've only been at it for like a couple hundred years, like really and truly studying the particles of the universe that we interact with. Like yeah. we we don't we don't know what's ahead of us. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dark matter itself is like the biggest sign that we don't know a lot of things because mm -hmm. we that big blank spot in the formula. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Which we talked about a little bit recently, so we won't go into any more right now. But anyway. Um, okay. So so one of the people uh, involved in the study said there are only so many forms of energy in the universe. Aliens are not magic. I, again, like talking about this assumption. Um, by mm -hmm. definition, a civilization is an engine for using energy and turning it into work. Frank says on Spark Dialogue podcasts, which I should check out and take a listen to. Um, a young civilization is only, go only going to have so many kinds of energy modes available to it. Aliens would have to get their energy the same place as we would. Burning things, the movement of their atmosphere or oceans, the light of their star. If they burn their equivalent of fossil fuels, we can look for the first technosignature, pollution. For example, chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs, such as tetrafluoromethane, CF4, and trichlorofluoromethane, CCL3F, could be a product of industry. Chemicals like this would leave a spectral signature in the atmosphere of the planet, which we may be able to detect. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's that makes total sense. Like, yeah. that would be one of the first things that I would assume to look for. Like, if it's a technological civilization, it's clearly having an impact on its planet. Look at the atmosphere. That's look for pollution. Like the thing... Look, look for the thing that we can see. Yeah. Although, if, if our civilization is so young and our pollution is so bad to the point where climate change could destroy life on our planet, mm -hmm. doesn't it, wouldn't it make sense that in order for a civilization to become stable enough to last long enough to discover that maybe they figured out their pollution problem? That's yeah, That was the other thing I was going to think of. Like, what if they didn't go down the route of burning fossil fuels? What if they right. realized it's far more efficient to do something that doesn't leave a mark because exactly. it's more stable yeah. for their planet. It's more stable for their survival. And hopefully we figure that out. And then hopefully our pollution <laughs> in our atmosphere goes away because we've, we've developed yeah. technology to solve yeah. those problems, which we absolutely can do. We've developed a lot of it. It's just why aren't we implementing it? I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Greed and stupidity. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Money. And ignorance. Well, and even if we do figure it out and we like, we turn the tide and we, you know, we get climate control under, under control. Um, 
how long is the mark of what we've done over the past century going to last? Right. You know, like, is it going to take centuries for that to clear up in the atmosphere? Is it going to take a millennia? Is You know, like, right. I, I don't Who think knows? it's going to be fast. So, yeah. but still it's cosmologically speaking, that's just a, a, a blink. Right. So right. We, we have to study a lot of stars. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, but I, but but I, it, it revolves around the assumptions that other civilizations are like ours, which I'm mm. not sure makes the most sense, considering that our civilization is trying to actively trying to destroy itself right now. You know? Yeah, and it's it's the only reference that we have. So right. Yeah, we got to think outside of ourselves. Biased. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Another source of energy is solar. Stars are some of the most efficient producers of energy, and it's only natural that an alien civilization would attempt to harness that energy. This leads to the second techno-signature, looking for reflection off solar panels. <laughs> ah, interesting. Or like yeah. Dyson spheres. <laughs> yeah, see, that's where I thought this was going, is like, look for the Dyson sphere, look for the, the alien megastructure that, you know, there was all this news, people thought we'd discovered one last year, but... But but it goes yes. to solar panels, like a very specifically human-made thing. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting, though. Well, the problem I mean, with that is, like, what's the size of this solar panel that we're looking at? So when you're talking about studying exoplanets around other stars, the vast majority of the light that you're getting from that system is the star itself. It's incredibly hard, which is why we haven't found planets up until very recently yeah. to get that information from the light that you're studying because it's drowned mm. out by the star itself. So like, how are you going to get like a glare from a solar panel on a planet outside of the star itself? <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. I'm, I'm, skeptical. I'm skeptical about that, that motive. Yeah. Like uh, do we have the sensitivity of ability yeah. to see that? It would have to be a no. big ass solar panel. Or like it would have to be huge, yeah. like the size of a moon or something floating right. around a planet, right? To or like flare up, like if a giant ring was built around a star to collect its solar energy and then harness it and give it to a planet in in, in the solar system, that we might be able to mm. detect from far away. Yeah, yeah, we're talking like the size of an orbit, uh, like a planetal orbit, or like a moon or something enormous. Um, also, like if they're trying to harness the energy of the sun, aren't they going to have it pointed? Like, the light's going to reflect back at the star, right? Not like off into space. I don't uh, know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense if you build a, a ring. Yeah, if you build a ring yeah. around a star, the light is not going to reflect. It's going to catch yeah. the light, and then, yeah. Yeah. It would be blocked and from it's our not it's not going to send it off our way, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's, let's read more about solar panels. Solar panels absorb light up to a certain wavelength and reflect the rest. This leads to a spectral edge in the reflected light. Uh, then there are perhaps more seemingly far-fetched... Okay, so that's all they say about, about that. Is that maybe there's like okay. a specific wavelength of light um, that is reflected off solar panels that we could detect. And yeah, I mean, maybe, I'm Every sure. Yeah. I, yeah. If that's true, that's great. And if, if we could see that from that far away, that'd be awesome. Um, yep. And then they actually get into megastructures or signatures of artificial oh. satellites. Yeah. <laughs> we jumped the gun. Okay. And then there's this cool picture, too, of a megastructure. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's. But it doesn't really say anything about that besides the fact that they could exist. Um, so why now? Why haven't we looked for these things before now? We now know over 4,000 extrasolar planets. 
Uh, and more importantly, which of these are within the habitable zone of their stars? Now we have a target list. The grant's final product will be a library of technosignatures that other astronomers can search for or consult when interpreting their data. So super oh, interesting. Nice. Okay. So they do have um, specific targets already that they're looking for. They're not just like sweeping the cosmos trying to find stuff. That, that yeah. helps narrow things down a little bit at least. Yeah. And this study itself is just cataloging possible techno signatures that we could look mm -hmm. for. Although like even just you and I who aren't scientists are already like skeptical of a couple of the ones that they've mentioned. <laughs> yeah. But if they're making a library of the data that they're pulling up, that might lead to later um, discoveries for something that like, Oh, I didn't realize that uh, this happened, but we've got this data from, you know, however many years that they're studying these particular planets and they, they end up using the data for something totally different, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very worthwhile study uh, and thinking mm -hmm. about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in different ways is a great idea. Um, it's just, mm -hmm. you know, what, what's going to work? Is anything going to work? Who knows? Yeah. It could be the sort we of thing where we would just get hopefully contacted eventually. Like maybe if we develop a interstellar presence or... Um, you know, like in Star Trek, when they develop warp drive, that's when they catch the attention mm -hmm. of nearby people. Um, like, it's yeah. possible to imagine that we're already being studied by alien civilizations. And, and we're just waiting for us to not destroy ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And or maybe there's maybe like this whole idea of the prime directive in Star Trek actually doesn't exist in the real galaxy. Maybe maybe mm -hmm. an alien civilization would step in and say, hey, stop destroying yourselves. You know, maybe that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, we could use some help right about now. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're about to hear from aliens because they're like, hey, knock it the fuck off. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Earth, you are grounded. Stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> humans think that they own Earth, but we don't. Humans are no. a species on Earth. Earth existed before us and will exist mm -hmm. after us. And the idea, that, the idea that we own it and it is ours is ridiculous. And I could see an alien mm -hmm. civilization saying, hey, this one species on this planet is about to destroy it for the entire rest of the planet. And not just that, but maybe mm -hmm. there's like, you know, repercussions to the solar system as a whole to, to what is, or humans are doing to Earth. I mean, that seems far-fetched, but maybe. Um, maybe like maybe well, we maybe, don't understand yeah. the intricacies of, of planetary systems the way we think we do. And maybe another mm -hmm. alien civilization will step in and say, hey, You've gone too far. We got to pull you guys back from the brink of destruction. And they like mediate some sort of yeah. uh, climate accords and peace agreements on Earth. I'm for this idea. I want this. That'd be great. I yeah. would watch that series. Like, yeah. give us, give us that. We could call it the Alien Accords or something. I don't know. <laughs> AA. <Yeah>. AA. <laughs> and that's the space news. Space news. All right. Well, let's get into our Firefly discussion, episode 12, The Message, the third to last yeah. episode of Firefly. We are zoning in on the almost, finish line. Almost at the end. Yeah. Yeah, so this episode is about an old war buddy of Mal and Zoe who ships himself to them in mm -hmm. a box. He at first appears to be dead. Tracy. Tracy, yeah. <laughs> then we find out that he's not dead. He's actually smuggling organs that were implanted in his own body and he's being chased mm -hmm. by these these people that are trying to get them back um mm -hmm. and yeah 
action ensues and Mal is forced. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, not exactly this time. Less hilarious Mm -hmm. than than normal. Um, Yeah. But yeah, Tracy ends up kind of turning on the crew and Mal is forced to kill him. And then they Mm -hmm. deliver Tracy's body to his parents' planet. And it's a big bummer. (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a big bummer. Like, there's a lot going on emotionally in this episode. Um, And I think it's a really good look at the bleaker Mal that Joss Whedon wanted from the very beginning and that he was trying to portray as like a dark, broken person that doesn't uh, have any qualms about doing what needs to be done to survive and to protect his crew. And uh, Fox just wanted it to be like peppy and light and him popping one-liners um, and you see that a little bit in the episode when they show a flashback of uh, uh, the Battle of Duquesne, yeah. which is uh, uh, one of the few times that we see the actual war itself. But, um, you know, things are bad and Tracy's about to die, but Zoe steps in and just like slits this dude's throat like it's yeah. nothing. And she's a total badass and just like delivering it with a straight face. And then Mal, like runs into the scene and practically does a somersault and <laughs> yeah like, being chased and he's just like making an ass of himself and kind of being the comic relief yeah in a darker scene i love and it's like, that you can tell, yeah you can tell that like fox is still saying can we just i know it's war but can you just make it funny yeah <laughs> and like, also i mean that's uh, like just whedon's aesthetic is to is to juxtapose seriousness Mm -hmm. with with absurd comedy which i love yeah but yeah like when you go back to the pilot that's the version of mal that joss originally envisioned and he's a little more Mm -hmm. somber and then in episode two the train job he's like cracking one-liners he's having a much better day he's funny um Mm -hmm. yeah and this episode we kind of get both of those in one episode which is which is cool i mean as a character study for both Mal and Zoe, I really like this episode. When you look mm-hmm. at what they went through in the war and how it brought them closer together and how they kind of fall back into these, um, like, they're like war selves when they see Tracy. And mm-hmm. I mean, even the way they handle Tracy's body when they think he's dead, when they won't let, you know, Shepard Book help carry the right. body. It's like there's a code. Like only the fellow soldiers can, yeah. can handle the remains. Yeah. Yeah. There's a code among them that's really interesting. I, um, on the Blu-ray, uh, I watched today, went to the bonus features after watching this episode and I watched some of the deleted scenes. Mm. And, uh, one of the ones that really stands out to me is, uh, from the original pilot. And it's about Zoe talking about the battle of serenity with Cyrus, uh, with Simon, because mm. he doesn't have any like point of reference for, for what's going on. And, and books like, you know, the name of the ship is really interesting. Maybe you should look it up because you clearly don't know anything about history. And, and Zoe comes in while he's listening to this, like, um, it's basically a Wikipedia article being narrated on his little Palm wow. pilot type device. Cool. <laughs> and she's like that, that, article isn't going to tell you anything about what the reality of it was like there was half a million people dead in serenity valley and they were left there for over a week by both sides while the alliance and the independence tried to come to a peace treaty to end the war Mm. and she delivers it with just such like gravitas 
that you really appreciate what she and Mal went through and why they have such a strong Mm -hmm. bond, even though, you know, she married someone else, but she will always be loyal to Mal and you really get it through the scene. So I'm really sad that 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 scene was deleted. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, yeah. And I, you know, there's some reference to Mal's um, religious past when like towards the end of the episode, Mm -hmm. when Tracy's talking about like the speeches Mal used to give, I don't remember the wording he used, but it kind of alluded to the, the fact that Mal used to be very religious and now he's like Mm -hmm. completely left that behind. And the battle of Serenity Valley is what broke his faith. I know. Yeah. We see that in, in the pilot, but what I thought was interesting from this episode, like what Tracy was saying um, towards the end of the episode, he's like, what are you doing with this Bible thumper? And it's like, but that, doesn't make sense for the continuity of like he was a very religious person up until the battle of serenity which broke him and he lost his faith and he lost all you're right i didn't think of that yeah but tracy would have known him as a religious person so i don't that that struck out to me as not uh not very good continuity yeah no i agree i agree that's interesting i have to say that the beginning of this episode is so good. I love it so much. Like the whole mm-hmm. the whole section of the episode that they spend on this space station, I love. Yeah. I love yeah. the way the I space think- station looks so <laughs> much. Like from the outside, it's got all these giant yeah. screens. Uh, like a space like, bazaar. Yeah, it's a space bazaar. It's like advertisements on the outside. Yeah. Like this is something that I have always wanted from my science fiction. Mm-hmm. Is like, why why does everything feel so sterile? Why don't things mm-hmm. feel lived in? And why aren't There's things... Good. You know, if it's our future hum- human civilization, why aren't there mm-hmm. things like Space Vegas? You know, like, yeah. why don't yeah. we see more stuff and, like I mean, that? And like space shopping malls, you yeah. know, there needs to be places where people refuel and they get the supplies they need. Yeah, and, and they should have neon <laughs> signs. <laughs> they should have neon signs. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. It, they did a really good job. And you only see this stuff for like fractions of a second, which is yeah. like they set up a lot of world building with very little footage. Mm. From what I understand, they did like multiple days of shooting of like the with all the extras in the like the alleyway looking scenes where they're like going from stall to stall and yeah. looking at stuff. And, in the space. Uh, but you only see it yeah, in the space bazaar, but you only see it for like I don't know, less than 30 seconds total throughout the whole opening scene, like from them yeah. setting up the Simon and Kaylee going into the little, the booth to look at the alien life. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love it. And, and it's then, just that. And then afterwards when they calf. go to the post, they're like, hey, no. <laughs> but I love that they do take this time to like, as a science fiction show, mm-hmm. they address why we haven't seen aliens. Like I'm sure a lot of people were thinking about it and this is, 12 episodes in but yeah. you know it's not it's i can't remember what order they uh they aired it in but it was still towards the end yeah and they don't address the fact that it's just humans like humans and cows and horses and reavers and, like, <laughs> and, and reavers and yeah. like that's it on all of these planets um and so it's really interesting that they they took time to call out that you know you're not going to see any aliens. Yeah, yeah. Aliens have not been discovered by humanity yet. And this is like mm-hmm. a few hundred years in our future. And yeah. given the space news we just talked about, that math checks <laughs> out. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, they've, they've settled on various different star systems. And none of these show any signs of intelligent life. They, yeah. they go and they terraform, but it's just, you know, 
it's just what we brought with us from earth that was yeah and that so. math still checks out given like the distance mm-hmm. like the thousands of light years away that the next likeliest planet would be to host an intelligent civilization so yeah i actually Mm -hmm. really like that about firefly that there's no aliens i actually think that that's a really great choice because firefly true to life yeah firefly is very much like a a star wars ripoff in a lot of ways you know you it's like Mm -hmm. what if we could just have a tv show where you're just on han solo's crew is basically what firefly (laughs) is which is what we all want to watch absolutely that's why i love it so goddamn much but (laughs) Um, but it's interesting to, to leave the aliens out because it really becomes more of a study of the future of humanity, which I really appreciate because that's what I love so much about Star Trek. Even though there are aliens Mm -hmm. in Star Trek, it is a exploration of the future of humanity. And I think that Mm -hmm. leaving the aliens out and just focusing on what happens next to humans is great. I love that. And also like the expanse. Do you watch the expanse, Jane? I have seen the first two seasons. I eventually will watch seasons three and four. Okay. But haven't gotten around to it yet do you did you like it yes okay, i did good. like it i, I it love seems it. very it seems very realistic yeah. like it probable and you don't have to d- suspend that much disbelief when you're watching it you're like yeah this is something that could reasonably happen within the next you know century or so yeah and the like in I, this isn't really a spoiler to say because it's been in the first season but there's like this weird substance oh. that they discover um, yeah, they show it like in the first episode. So. Exactly. Yeah, and it, the the whole show is like, what is this stuff? Like, where does it come from? Is it alien in nature? Um, mm-hmm. And and I love that. Like, it's a, a totally different look at the future of human civilization. And I just love like yeah. all these different shows that kind of do this differently. Um, and mm-hmm. discovering whether or not aliens exist is such a big part of what will happen in the future to humanity, hopefully. Um, Like, whether or not we discover it has massive implications for our society, either way. And I love love examining that through science fiction in different ways. Yeah. Well, that's one of the the cool things about the search for extraterrestrial life. It's not just about finding other civilizations about there. It's about being able to figure out um, likely outcomes for what's going to happen to us. Yeah, totally. Yeah, this, yeah, I mean, science can tell us so much about our potentiality and our future, which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I love the choice for Firefly. I think it's the right choice for Firefly. Do you think that if Firefly had continued to run for more years, would they have introduced aliens? I think no. I mean, unless they got like way down the line, like seven plus seasons, then maybe. But Joss Whedon was pretty adamant that he wanted no aliens in Firefly. I think that I think that they shouldn't. Like whether or not they were going to or yeah. not, I think it's the wrong call. It's I think a, leave it out. So, yeah, the the show, this story is about uh, examining these characters specifically. Yeah. So it doesn't matter so much what's going on externally to the ship. It's about their growth and their journey, and uh, and you don't need aliens for that. Right. And when we get to the movie. That is so much about, you know, the government of humans, you know, and what they're willing to do to maintain control. Like, that is sort yeah. of the the background information that, you know, influences the whole series as far as, like, who are the Reavers and, and like, yeah. what is this authoritarian government? That's all yeah. about, like, what happens when humanity stretches out? Like, what will we do to maintain status quo power structures? And, like, that's all mm-hmm. what 
Mal and his crew are unwilling to take part in and sort of rebelling against and like they're criminals against this uh this system that is criminal so yeah Mm. which is kind of stuff we've touched on the past in this whole series but interesting to think about right now in the context of what's happening in our country and across the world where these power structures are bad enough for so many people that there's this uprising trying to take them apart rightfully so so yeah we're all brown coats (laughs) when uh kaylee and simon are looking at the quote-unquote alien um and they're like on a date i mean this is you know the next level of this relationship between kaylee and simon where we've Mm -hmm. seen some yearning for each other and and now they're actually kind of acting on it they're on a date together and simon just bungles it so horribly he's like making a joke about how she's the only available woman i know he was doing pretty good up until that point she was like yeah tell me more good stuff about me and oh you think i'm pretty that's great what else what else and she's like giving him all these opportunities to like say nice things and then suddenly he's like i like you because you're the only girl yeah <laughs> you're yeah. my only option and yeah. she's like well fuck you too <laughs> yeah and it kind of pushes her to tracy the guest star yeah. once we find out he's mm-hmm. not dead they have this whole flirtation through the rest of the episode and she's obviously yeah. into it until he tries to use her as a as a hostage at yeah. the end well yeah that's so it's unfortunate that that is an easy plot device for making mm-hmm. the audience care about what's going on because obviously if if kaylee's in peril we're like oh going on and we instantly turn on tracy for doing that but like simon did the exact same thing he did in the first episode yeah in the first episode like it was someone else holding a gun up against her and someone else that shot her but he also used kaylee's health as a leverage against the crew to get what he wanted and it's like she's got not the best track record in dudes But, um, I mean, like the other person that we see her with throughout the entire series, the only other guy is Bester. Bester, like, I was trying to think of his name, yeah. <laughs> he didn't turn out to be the uh, the sharpest tool in the shed, he's which a, is fine. He's a real jabroni. But, <laughs> yes. Uh, Twitch. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But I, do, but I do love that, you know, I love that if you're going to have this other character coming to the crew, like why not have this sort of subplot of trying to build romance mm-hmm. between two of your main characters and maybe having a hiccup yeah. with that, with this other guy coming mm-hmm. in and Simon making this bad joke. I love that they add that. It just adds some really good yeah. texture to the episode. Mm-hmm. And the very last scene that we see, not to like jump ahead, but there is resolution or at least progression of their relationship because they start the, ar- the episode off with an argument and then Kaylee, you know, dabbles in, in being friendly with someone else. And then by the end of the episode, she and Simon are holding hands. Right, at the funeral, so yeah. They did, they did take a step forward. It took some, some life and death situation to, to push them to that, but they did actually take a step forward. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it just, this episode more than almost any other just makes me so sad that we don't get more firefly i know because you can feel their sadness over it because it's the last one they Mm -hmm. filmed and it just permeates the episode and it i just it just makes me feel it too the whole time Mm -hmm. i just want more because i want to see like where that relationship would have gone and how it would have developed over years you know i 
And mm-hmm. like the same with all the relationships on the show. Like the relationship between Book and Jane is so good in this episode. We've been talking it's about so interesting. Yeah, yeah, we've been talking about how they're like becoming better friends. And Jane is so nice to Book. He's like, Hey, I'm doing some reps. You want to come over? I'll spot you. You know, he'd like yeah. he's yeah. a totally different I man around Shepherd Book. He doesn't apologize to anyone for anything, but then he's like, oh, sorry, preacher, am I making too much noise? Yeah. And it's like, he's so respectful towards Buck. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I really like it. I Jane is mm-hmm. a great character. I mean, he he was the one that I liked the least the first watch through, but the more I watch, the more I see the nuance in that character and just really he's, love it. Yeah, he's very interesting, to say the least. And I always wonder, like where his relationship with book would have gone if book like if the show had had gone on further you know they occasionally dabble on religion or you know deeper topics which you would never assume that jane would talk about but it makes it makes you think that book is playing a long game on maybe converting him (laughs) yeah maybe although i get the feeling that book is not the type of shepherd to want to really convert anyone i think he's okay with people not sharing his religious beliefs which i really like yeah well yeah yeah he's not pushy about it at all but i think he he definitely he's there when people need him to be there and he likes to show them the more uh tolerant side of religion as opposed to the like zealot you know Oh, hi, Andy. Oh, hi. Andy. Andy. Oh, Andy came hi, in to bring Andy. me a snack. That's so nice of you. I love your jacket. Say hi real quick. <laughs> Where are you Come going? I'm going to Oh, cool. There. We're just going to chat a little oh, bit. Oh, nice. All right. Have fun. Okay. Bye. Have a great rest of your Bye. Bye. <laughs> she brought me some pears. Which... Oh, that was nice. Man, pears have been good recently. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but, uh, yeah, so, so I just think book isn't the type to like force his religion or his viewpoint on anyone, but he's definitely more of a inclusive, like, eventually he might give you a a sneaky sermon, (laughs) you know, more, more tolerant kind of preachiness. He he never comes out judges people even you know when we see him at the beginning with anara and she's like are you here to talk me out of the sinfulness of my ways and he's like i just brought you dinner (laughs) like he he's um spreading the word by acts of kindness i Mm. think is his way of of being a preacher yeah which i respect i like that so so what do you think about tracy about the guest star the character, the actor. I have a lot of thoughts about Tracy. So, Jonathan M. Woodward is yes. one of uh, Whedon's hat tricks, where he has been in all of the main three TV shows. He was in Firefly, he was in Buffy, he was in Angel, um, and he never plays a likable character. So, <laughs> he's he's perfect for that. Because he's not necessarily, I mean, the, the way that he portrays each of these characters is very unlikable. <laughs> so yeah. he's doing great at acting. Um, <laughs> I do think that of the, the roles that I've seen him in, in these different shows, this is my least favorite. Hmm. He plays it almost as if he's drunk the entire time. He yeah. slurs his words a lot. 
He speaks a little erratically. He's always a little bumbling, or like his eyes are like kind of heavily lidded. So, so yeah, the, there's a lot about this particular performance that I don't like, but I think that it works for making the character unlikable. Yeah, uh, which is which is the purpose. But at the same time, it's like I don't know. Did he have to talk like he was? talking through a mouthful of cotton balls the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an interesting choice that he went with, Um, but I I don't know. It was appropriate to the character, so I can't be too bad. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really liked the performance either. Something about it just I find kind of hard to watch in a weird way, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that is intentional. It's like he's a it's intentional. Yeah. No. He's like a shitty guy doing shitty yeah. things to good people. Um, Commentary on why humanity is doomed. <laughs> yeah. And it's like difficult to watch him call Mao and Zoe saps because he like predicts mm-hmm. their behavior and he's right about everything. He's right about the fact that they're still going to take him home. And they saved yeah. his life because... so many times. And then yeah. he still like turns on them. And mm-hmm. but but yeah, but then they uh, but then they still follow their like but... military code. And yeah, in the end, they actually still go through with the honorable thing. And like, if he had lived through that to see, or like, if he was standing at his own funeral, he still would have made fun of them for doing the thing that he marked them for doing in the first place, which was, you know, taking care of a a fallen uh, comrade, soldier. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I will say is that the actual message, the recorded message the vocal performance of it is so good. When you don't see his face and you just listen mm-hmm. to the message, it's actually yeah. really moving because it's so mm-hmm. like stuttery and, and real feeling. And I really yeah. love that. And I, I love the first half of the episode, like when, you, when they find this dead body, they think he's dead <laughs> and they like don't know what's going on and they're being t- tracked uh-huh. by these evil lawmen and this, that whole part mm-hmm. is so interesting but like when he wakes up and starts talking i'm like oh i hate him yeah you know, <laughs> I, know. I, I don't it's, like this guy it's funny how like instantaneous you're like no yeah totally <laughs> this guy is not part of my crew he's an outsider i don't trust him he's sleazy get away from kaylee <laughs> yeah and like you think about yeah. saffron where you just wish that she would continue on the show because she's so good and i kind of so i want yeah. that for and even like thinking forward to um what's the last episode called with jubal early objects in space space. yeah thinking forward to that like that performance is really great and that character Mm -hmm. is someone oh man i hope he comes back and there wasn't a single second during this episode i'm like man i hope tracy comes back like you're like (laughs) man i I hope they kill this character off and he never returns And they, and, and they, they do, do deliver thank, on thank that. Thank you, yes, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God, he's, yeah, he's not going. He, that's not to say that we wouldn't see flashbacks. There could have been other flashbacks sure. with that character, but we know that Tracy got what he deserved, which was dying twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do actually really like the flashbacks, but because of mm-hmm. how they illustrate Zoe and Mal, not necessarily mm-hmm. because of this other guy, although we do learn about Tracy in the past as well. But yeah, yeah. like watching Mal 
you know, hearing Zoe say, yeah, part of being a soldier is making sure the enemy doesn't know where you are. And then Mal runs in screaming, hooting and hollering. It's so funny. It's so great. Uh, They're like the perfect odd couple. Yeah, uh, totally. And Mal, which is great. <laughs> and I would love to see more of that, um, that interaction of them during the war. And, you know, what formed this, this really deep bond between the two of them. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, I love anything with Zoe in it. It's oh, always, yeah. She's amazing. It's great. Whenever they yeah. focus more on Zoe, it's really exciting because she's just such a wonderful character. And I and I am mm-hmm. still fascinated by their history. You know, we get a little bit more of it in war yeah. stories and then we get more here of Zoe and mm-hmm. Mal's history as soldiers together. It's really, really interesting. It's great character detail yeah. and adds so much depth to their current relationship. And mm-hmm. some, I mean, their acting is incredible. Like the performances with Zoe yeah. and Mal, the way they look at each other, the way that they kind of go into their soldier groove around each other yeah. when Tracy shows up again and especially when he pulls a gun. Um, oh, it's yeah. all so good. It's it's beautiful and like yeah, not just what they're saying to each other, but the nonverbal like choices that are made with how they you know where they stand in the room facing each uh, character or or you know putting their hand on their weapon or you know just little little body cues that you get that they're going back into hmm. their soldier mode. Yeah, you know, it's always it's always nice to see that. What are the acting choices that you didn't like in this episode? You mentioned that at the very top. That there was like performances oh, that you thought were phoned mostly, in. Yeah, the the thing that bothers me the most is the guest star. Um, oh, okay, Duncan yeah. So we've talked about. Yeah, so yeah. Like that, <laughs> that, that's that's terrible. But but there's also little things throughout the the episode that like some of it is beautiful. Like the, they're a little bit more touchy feely in this episode. Like Inara hmm. and Kaylee hug. Um, like Inara tries to console Kaylee after the debacle with her and simon um in the in the space bazaar and um zoe puts her hands on simon's shoulders um to be like why is there someone you are good at talking at <laughs> Wait, is there someone <laughs> and, what? Um, uh why is there someone you are good at talking at oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah oh right when he says he's Wait, it was he's going not good at talking to girls yeah 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 <laughs> totally like, yeah there's someone you are good at talking she, to yeah. yeah, she's she's not at all phased by that, which yeah. is funny. But she like she comes up and she like puts her her arm around his shoulders. And, yeah. Um. There's there's little moments where you can be like this crew, these actors, this cast, they have genuine chemistry, and yeah. you can really see it in this episode where it really shines through in some parts. Oh yeah, when they're drinking together, when they think Tracy's dead, Mal, yeah, and Zoe, and Anara. Oh, I love yeah. it. Any table, any any scene that takes place around the table in the mess hall. Is going to be yeah. the best. That I love. It's, I love seeing characters yeah. eat together. I think that's so mm-hmm. valuable on a show to like show a meal where characters are sitting and eating and talking to each other. I just yeah. always love that. Yeah, it really cements their their trust in each other and yeah. their their really close relationship, which is beautiful to see when it does happen. I thought Wash um, was awesome in this episode. He's so funny <laughs> when they're trying to escape so, when they're flying, and he's like doing all that fancy flying. And there's a moment where they could crash very easily and you see wash like yeah. screaming in terror it's so good i love it so that's one of the things that does bother me a little bit and um alan tudyk does talk about this a little bit so like the original intent for this character was that he's a goofball in real life but when he's flying he hits this like zen hmm. perfect master of his element at the cockpit and like everything is serene it's kind of like 
Leaf on the Wind? Spoilers. For, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Spoilers for later, but like he's really at his best and his most calm when he's flying. Yeah. And that's just thrown out the window in this episode. And it's like, well, that's an interesting choice. I know you guys are having fun because it's the last episode that you're filming. And it's kind of like, you know, last couple days of school and everybody's, you know, goofing off and, and having fun. But he didn't really feel true to the character. That's and, interesting. And that always kind of bothers me i never thought yeah. of that to me it was like he was overconfident for the situation and was like taken a little off guard with how close he came to crashing the ship and it kind of spooked him yeah. like that's what i've always taken there um, uh, and the the situation of what's going on right there is great i love what they're doing and they're like trying to get away from this other ship and then they have the kind of like the punchline of him flying through this canyon that's really difficult and showing off all of his technical prowess as a pilot. And then they look up and the people that are following them are just hovering above the canyon. I know, it's like, so funny. We don't need to follow you through that. We can see you inside the canyon. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't think that's, of that. That's beautiful. And I, I love the, the situation. It just feels like Wash is... Uh, losing his cool when before it was all about you know that was that was his zen was when yeah. he was flying no i totally hear you that is a little inconsistent um yeah yeah i hadn't thought of it that way before that's interesting but yeah but that whole sequence i know <laughs> but that whole sequence Sorry. is so good like them being yeah. bombed it reminds me so much of Empire Strikes Back when they're in the asteroid field when they're hiding in the asteroid and the bombs are going off yeah. outside. Um, yeah. Th that whole action sequence little, is so Star Wars-y. Uh, they're doing a little Star Trek acting too when, the, when they're getting hit and the <laughs> yeah. whole thing shakes and they're like, ah! And they're like flinging themselves across the set to make yeah. it look like the, the ship's shaking. <laughs> totally. But yeah, so my, my big issue with this episode is that... Um, Tracy overhears the crew saying how they're going to call the cops and he thinks they're going to turn him in when in fact mm -hmm. they are going to, you know, use the leverage that they've discovered about these cops to get them to go away, which is that they haven't checked in. So they're obviously involved in the sale of these illegal organs and not actually working as, you know, police officers, or maybe they mm -hmm. are just like pretending to be cops and aren't actually at all. Um, the, but there's definitely the, like some shifty some shiftiness with what they're doing and you know yeah. the crew discovers that and is going to use it against them and they could tell mm -hmm. tracy that but they don't they let tracy go on like holding a gun at them they could say hold on tracy no we're, we're we have this plan we're tricking them but they don't even yeah. try to tell him that and it it results in them having to shoot tracy dead and I know. And it bothers me because it's like there's an easy line of dialogue that you could put in here that would prevent this death. And I, I know the reason they didn't do it is because they wanted to have Mal kill Tracy. They wanted to put Mal in the position where he feels like he has to kill Tracy. And mm -hmm. I get that. And I feel like that's an interesting place to end up in the episode. But, but I feel like it was done a little bit inartfully compared to the rest yeah. of the writing of this show. And every time I watch it, I'm just screaming please tell him what your plan is mm -hmm. so you don't have to kill yeah. him. But this time when I watched it, it occurred to me that maybe Mal was so hurt that Tracy would pull a gun on his crew that he didn't want to tell him. And he's like, Tracy, if you're going to go down this path, like if you're not going to trust me that I saved your life, we were soldiers together, we live by this code. If you're not yeah. going to trust me, then, I, then you are 
immediately dead to me. And that's why he didn't tell him mm -hmm. the plan. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely something along those lines, but also like <laughs> at, at one point after he's shot, Tracy says, Mal, do you think I'm stupid? And he says in every way possible. <laughs> so I think at, on some level, he doesn't think that Tracy is smart enough to understand what they're doing or that it would take too long to explain to him. I mean, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like sure. things are moving along pretty quick. They could just be like, look, we got a plan. Just trust us. They could have said that, but uh, it, it's a little sloppy, but I, I do kind of understand where they could have been coming from and not trusting him with the entire plan. Sure. They could have given him some little nugget, but then that would have made it harder to get in the situation where he had to be shot right. twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it I've... wasn't just, it wasn't just Mal that shot him. Zoe shot him first. Right. And he when, didn't seem bothered the... by that at all. <laughs> he had this giant I hole think... in his chest. I know he's got a giant hole in his chest, like inches from his heart. And he's just running around dragging Kaylee along with him. I feel like part of that has to do with the fact that he's running around with like super organs right. in him. That's what I see. And so as well. maybe maybe he didn't feel the first one as much as a normal person would. Yeah. But okay, so that's that's another thing that does bother me with the plot of this episode. He claims and we don't know because he's a liar. He could have been lying about everything. <laughs> Even that we that he did tell the crew, but he claims that he had a a seller, like a third party seller, to buy these organs. Yeah. How was he supposed to get his organs back? Right. Totally. <laughs> if, he, if he took these new organs to this other party and was going to sell them for three times the money that the original people were going to do, but the original people still had all his original innards, they were going to put back in him. Right. When he gave them the the super organs. How was he, was he committing suicide the whole time? Was he yeah. planning on actually giving all this money to his parents so that they could get off of St. Albans or whatever the name of the planet or moon is that they're on? How was he going to get out of that situation if that was indeed the situation that was happening? I, I still don't feel like he was telling the entire truth at any Yeah, point. that totally stuck out to me as well. Like the first time I watched this episode that really stuck out to me. It was like, my brain is now stuck in this plot hole and I can't get out of it. This, this yeah. episode doesn't feel as well, as well put together as a lot of the others plot wise, but you're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he's lying to them, but if he is, I feel like the audience needs that information by the end of the episode. Or like if they'd done a two part episode yeah. where they have to go steal his organs and then sell them to someone <laughs> else, that would have been great. Yeah. Um, or he's just like perpetually stuck in this body, uh, incubator like pyramid chain scheme where it's like okay he's never getting his original organs back he's always gonna have to get a new <laughs> set and take them somewhere yeah, else totally <laughs> that's his life now yeah that that would be hilarious but yeah no i that is definitely something that was rubbing me the wrong way it's like if you're gonna sell your organs you gotta sell them to someone who has more organs to put in you know otherwise you're just a husk you're yeah. just an empty body yeah um yeah, and like, all of that combined really pulls this episode down a little bit. And as we're talking about it, I'm reminded how much I didn't like it the first time I watched it. But mm -hmm. there's something about the way we've been doing Firefly where we're like watching one episode a month where we're not watching it all in one giant brick like I usually do. Where yeah. Firefly is Based such it's such a good show and it's so much better than almost every other show. 
that even this mm-hmm. episode, which is maybe my least favorite, watching it today, I was like, I love this, you know? I love this so much. So it's hard for me to, so- to be that mad because I still fucking yeah. love it. Like, this is the episode where we get the Jane hat. It, it's I know. amazing. This is where it came from. There's still a whole lot to be uh, excited about rewatching in this episode. It's not necessarily the best. It's definitely not my favorite, but there's still a lot that makes it worthwhile every time you go back to it. Yeah, absolutely. The character stuff, the, you know, everything with our core crew is so good. Like River mm-hmm. wanting to sleep on the, on the coffin because she thinks it's, it's so a comfy spot. It's so goofy. funny. Yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. Every character has mm-hmm. a moment at least. And mm-hmm. Mal is just such an amazing character. One of my favorite TV characters of all time. I love Malcolm Reynolds. Okay. And this is a really interesting episode for him personally, where you get mm-hmm. a deeper sense of his code of ethics and how he thinks about the people that... <laughs> I'm sorry, my dog Miles is always having these coughing fits and it's it's We're bad ready. podcasting, but like I've tried leaving him outside and he just barks at me the whole time. So I don't, I really don't know what to do about it. Um, he, he wants to be a, a commentator. He's offering his two cents. Yeah, he the, wants to be track. part of the podcast. Yes. But I, I will just keep <laughs> continuing to apologize for the horrible coughing noises in the background of this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, there's just so much to like about it, even though there's like this huge sore thumb in this episode, which is the character of Tracy that I really just don't like. And mm-hmm. I see, I kind of see what they're going for. And. I actually like what they're going for. I think the story itself is really interesting. But if if the audience feels a sense of kinship with Tracy before he turns on us, it would have been so much more effective. And if if him turning had been a little bit more malicious, where it just it just feels like he's just really selfish, you know? He's just like yeah, a selfish shitbag. And Mal yeah, and Zoe yeah. already know that about him. So the right. fact that they expect him to not be that and then condemn him to death for being that just doesn't feel right in the episode. It's like, yeah, of course he's going to pull a gun on you because he thinks you're turning him in. Tell him you're not turning yeah. him in and he'll calm down. And that's where the whole episode just kind of breaks for me. Yeah, it it feels a little a little gross at the end. And yeah. it's, I, some of it's intentional. You're supposed to be uncomfortable and like realizing that life is hard for them and they have to make really terrible choices, but they kind of put themselves in that situation too, by accepting yeah. the body first right. of all, and then by not filling him in at all, or by not creating a plan. Like we just saw with trash that if they take in an outsider onto the ship that they don't trust, they can have a discussion beforehand. Like, look, this person is not good. Maybe they, they didn't expect him to get up and walk around. It's like they thought he was a dead body, but they could right. have been like, this was, this was not a good person. They didn't have to necessarily treat him like an honorable fallen soldier. Right. Um, he was a piece of shit and he continued to be a piece of shit. Um, so uh, everybody's a little bit, a little bit to blame for the final outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And that just kind Mostly of, Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it does deflate the experience of the episode to not fully be on the side of your heroes by the end. Like you're still on mm-hmm. their side and like for me and I still like, yeah, I get why they killed him, but I feel like what the episode wants you to believe is that Tracy forced them to kill him. And I just can't feel mm-hmm. that way because they could have easily just told him the plan. And Tracy like shoots yeah. at Wash and grazes his head. Um like not telling Tracy what was going on immediately could have killed Wash. It almost, almost killed Wash. Yeah. 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 
which is why Zoe shot him in the first place. Like right. she didn't even think about it. She just was protecting her husband, her crew, you know, the, the people that she cared about. And you would think that, I don't know. I, I just wish that scene had had a little bit longer to unfold, but the, the point was that they were trying to make it rushed. So that yeah. they couldn't talk about it. Yeah. It just it feels like a couple of, plot threads are missing and yeah i mean i i understand that it was the last episode everyone was really upset they'd been canceled and the the cast and crew Mm -hmm. knew they'd been canceled when they filmed this episode um so that permeates everything um Mm -hmm. but yeah but okay so how how do we rate this how many viras do we give this episode what do you think it's one of my least favorite episodes um and I can't remember now what my lowest rating has been I know, so far. I was thinking about that too. <laughs> I'm trying to grade on a scale for all of these. That being said, I don't want to give it too low of a score because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that I do like about it. Same. But I would say probably like five. Really? Maybe yeah. Like, maybe like five, maybe, maybe six Vera's, but there's just like, this is never going to be the one that if I want something comforting and i'm gonna rewatch something and i'm like oh yeah i just need a little firefly in my life right now i'm never gonna put this one on first yeah it's just it's just not gonna happen so grading on a scale on a curve i would i'd have to say like five yeah yeah, yeah this is a tricky one because like jane getting his hat and seeing that Which space is fun. that space station at the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode and mm-hmm. learning more about Zoe and and uh Mal's past seeing some of the war all that stuff is so good and then like them yeah. receiving this body it's like what the like what's going on like the first half of the episode it's great world building. the first half of the episode is like a 10 out of 10 for me i love it so much but then the last half mm-hmm. of the episode because of all the problems we've talked about is like is much much lower for me it's like a like a 4 mm-hmm. or a 5 so yeah. what's the episode as a whole? Maybe about like a six, six and a half for me, like a six, I'd say. Cause yeah, because good. like half of it is a 10. So <laughs> yeah, like a right. six, I'm going to give it a six and a half. I'm going to be generous because I, I mean, I still love this show so much. And like, I could be really harsh because I dislike Tracy so much, but I choose not to be because I love everything else. And I want to focus, <laughs> I want to focus on that. That's very generous. Yeah. All right. Well, we got two episodes left. Next time is Heart of Gold. Uh, we'll be coming back to Firefly with Jane within a month, either a month at the longest or maybe even sooner. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Cause, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we've got a little, like, you know, since Star Trek Club and Star Wars Club are currently on hold, we've got some extra time to play with. I have one thing, nice. one extra thing um, booked, and I'm not going to announce it until I've recorded it because I've learned my lesson on that. But if anything like falls through, uh, you know, coming back to Firefly would be my maybe a little sooner than a month would be my backup plan. And that just might happen anyway. So we'll see. I really want to get through Firefly. I'm so excited because I want to start talking about movies with you. I can't wait. And we're going to be bringing in other people to chat with us. It's going to be awesome. I know. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, that brings us to the end of another doozy of an episode. This is a long one, Jane. (laughs) I know we're getting there though we we got two left yeah i mean we did talk about space news for like 45 minutes so that's true yeah but always so so, it's always so much fun this was a great one always a pleasure jane 
So so good. Uh, thank, <laughs> thanks for having me back. Uh, I always enjoy talking Firefly with you and uh, hope you guys enjoy it as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Jane. Always a pleasure. Until next time, stay nerdy out there. Space Nerds is listener-funded through Patreon. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, sign up at patreon.com slash spacenerdspodcast. If you love this show, help us spread the word by sharing it on your favorite social media platform or leaving us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can find our show. If you have a question or comment you'd like the Space Nerds to discuss in the next episode, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. To browse our complete library of episodes or check out my sci-fi synth-pop music and music videos, visit my website at jessemercury.com. Keep it spacey, baby!